Deuteronomy chapter 6. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, Hoon out wells already dug out you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant when you have eaten and are full. <clears throat> just don't go any further. Just He's going to give you cities you did not build. Beautiful, large cities. Houses full of all good things. Wells. You never put a shovel in the ground. Vineyards and olive trees, you've never pruned them. You're just taking the fruit of it. And when you're eating and you're full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Beware. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. Verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies? What is this all about? The statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you. Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in. He brought us out so he could bring us in to give us the land of which he had swore to our fathers. Amen. I'm going to preach a little bit today. And I'm going to affirm the word that we've already heard. And I want to say to someone, you have 12 months left of living. What are you going to do with it? Listen to pastor, because the Lord spoke to me. It's not a warning. It's a proclamation. Set your house in order. You have 12 months left. What are you going to do with it? I say to you, do everything you can to serve God. Make sure you're right with God, with your brother. And get involved as deep as you can get involved until people think you are a fanatic. Amen. I've said it. Now just let it be. And we're going to rejoice in the word of the Lord. And we're going to give our whole lives to God. Lift up your voice to the Lord. He's with you. He's here. Amen. You don't want to miss the next few Sundays. God bless you. you. May be seated. Thank you. The scripture written and spoken by Moses was but a few moments from his passing. What I read to you, he was about to pass away. The days of his life are now closing in and this great leader will address the people of Israel Oft times, the Bible does not paint the scene of impending peril or death, but here, the 120 years of the life of Moses 
are now all but over. It has been said that at the point of death, people usually speak the things most important to them. Their inner desire or regrets or emotions are said. This may not be the case for everyone, but it was true for Moses. He spoke his final and most important sermon to the people. He will address the people of Israel three times before the leadership, headship, is transferred to Joshua. The last of his words begin in chapter 29, and they will simply reiterate their call for commitment to God and, and their adherence to his law. Moses follows a pattern of remembrance before the call. It's always the power of the Lord and then the call. It will begin where the Lord brought them from and it will end with the commandments and the statutes of the Lord which were launched by the fear of the Lord. The miracle of deliverance opened the door to the command of fear the Lord followed by the many declarations of the Lord's judgments and his virtues and God's prescribed order for life. Jesus will follow the same pattern. He will follow suit. One day he will find a very worldly Simon Peter. Peter was a man of the world. He was worldly. In his world, he was worldly. When Jesus found Simon Peter, he found a man struggling to make a living. Peter had toiled all night long and caught nothing. Peter was a fisherman by trade, perhaps more by trait. He knew those waters well. His life depended on that all-encompassing sea they called Galilee and Tiberias. Peter's hands were marked by ropes, by the water, by the fish themselves. He was reaching for something temporal. But the Lord was reaching for something eternal. Jesus had a mission for him, which is so clearly defined in the Bible. Peter will be the Bible's first Pentecostal preacher. And he will reveal the keys to the kingdom of heaven in Acts chapter 2 verse 38. But before a declaration of intent could be made, a miracle was needed to open up the door. So Jesus, the incarnate God, Emmanuel, God is one of us. The self-described I am that I am who was before Abraham stands on the boat in the very waters he called into existence and prepared Peter for ministry. Jesus was waiting to instill his virtues, his law, his statutes and principles into this fisherman of the sea. But first, Peter had to know and had to be brought out of where he was. So Jesus said to Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught or a mighty catch. And Simon said unto, Pete, un, unto Jesus, Master, we've already done that. We toiled all night. We've, we've taken nothing in. We've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Jesus was about to make him a fisher of men. Peter was bound to his boat, but before the call, he had to be set free from the temporal things of his life. It was, and it is the pattern. God brought you out so he could instill his order for living in your life. He did not bring us out or give us his blood or salvation for us to live flagrantly or without focus. There is a meaning to all of this, ladies and gentlemen. There is a meaning to your life and to your salvation. 
I wish somebody on the east wing would clap their hands a little bit because I want to hear from you. <laughs> I'm going to have to like do this job a little bit. Uh-huh. This house was built for a reason. And the miracle of our lives, our deliverance no less. Think about it. The miracle of this new birth is to be a witness. You shall be witnesses after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The miracle is for us to reach souls, people, neighbors, friends, the lost before the coming of the Lord. This place was built as a point of reference in this city and maybe even far beyond the borders of our own own city. I do not know. I'll just offer this to you because I've heard it three times from three different voices and I want you to fall in love with the city. So I'll offer this to you and those who are watching and listening to this word in some of the location, pay attention now to what I'm going to tell you. Don't ever say that you hate any place. Places hold people. Cities, towns, suburbs, regions, nations, they all host people. And the mission of the church of Jesus Christ is people. Don't ever say you hate any place. If our missionaries only went to places of convenience, we would have no missionaries. If we set up churches, some preaching points, a Bible study in some place that had good water or electricity or fine schools or had the internet or had good service, most of our endeavors would never have begun. This church would never have begun if people were looking for a fine place. Swallow hard now. Because the Lord put this word in my spirit. Shame on anyone who denounced locations. The reason you hate your city is because you have no love for the lost. Swallow hard. I didn't come here to appease anybody. I came here to preach the word. Love for locations is nothing short of pure carnality. You've lost the meaning. You believe in vain that Jesus was the only one to carry a cross. You forgot that you also had to pick up your cross and bear it. Uh-huh. My requirement for ministry, my requirement, pastoring our location, the call was never based on a nice shopping mall or a local cheesecake factory or better weather. Tammy and I did not choose the affluent or considered where our mothers lived. We let God set the course and God led us here and the odds were not in our favor and we entered a house where the, where the roof leaked and where there was a moral decline and there was no money and there were no people and everybody was a little depressed but we all believed that if God would be for us who could be against us and so we just began to praise God and worship him in the sanctuary. I say to everybody, God is greater than the probabilities. He's greater than the balance sheet. He's greater than all the afflictions. He's greater than the walls. He's greater than all the governments. He's greater than all your problems. All things are possible with God. There are no limitations with our God. His purpose 
is greater than my human suitabilities. Because if God placed me here, there are people with eternities hanging in the balance. And that is the meaning. No one would have heard the gospel had our missionaries measured the conditions of the road system before they went. Our American cities would have had no churches until at least the 1950s. Most of the roads were not paved. Most places had no reasonable hospital care facilities or proper communication or factories or businesses, but they went because of souls. It was people. God saved you so you could reach a person before the coming of the Lord. You've got to get back to the meaning. I'll tell you the meaning of this. He saved you. He brought you out with his mighty hand. He pulled you from the miry clay and he set your feet on a rock to stay. I'm a realist, so I'll tell you, we've, we've crossed great adversity. Some of my adversity is my own doing. <laughs> Hindsight is twenty twenty, and regrets are plenty. I've got a closet full of them. I'll give you some if you have none. <laughs> we walk by faith and not by sight. All of us. All of us. Some of you gentlemen in here, you weren't married. But the Lord gave you a beautiful wife. Some of you ladies, the Lord gave you a handsome husband. Uh Praise God. All the people said amen. He gave you beautiful children. Gave you friends. Gave you a family, provided a house of worship for you. You used not be a people, but now you're a people. And not just any people, but you're the people of the Most High God. That's right. Uh-huh. That's right. I don't know where you came from, Lawrence, but I want to tell you God has His hand on you. You used to have nothing, but now you got everything. here but let me just tell you the intent of your God your God is to save you and to use you he gave the Holy Ghost because that's a resurrection but after the Holy Ghost has come upon you he intended for you to be a witness of the Holy Spirit here's the meaning are you ready for the meaning Paul wrote it to his apprentice Timothy he said of God who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth He showed us his power so he could teach us his divine will. He set us free, not for our enjoyment, not because we deserved it, not because we were inherently better, because we are not better than anybody else. He brought us to this moment so we could reach the people. And I want to let everyone know, you were brought out of sin. Remember where you came from. Beware lest you forget. Beware lest you forget that God saved you. Moses is addressing the people. He knows 
that in order to conquer the land, they're going to have to cross the Jordan. He knows this. He says as much. Joshua's next few steps are not hidden from Moses. The entry into Canaan is clear. There will be a crossing. There must be a crossing. No one conquers without a crossing. There will be a battle. No rejoicing without a victory. Don't think you can come here every Sunday and there not be a battle to keep you from this house. You're not the first and you won't be the last. No rejoicing without a, without a battle, without a victory. Faith will be required and deliverance is soon to follow. But Moses also knows how short the memory can be. He's concerned that they will forego the thought of God. So he speaks to the people in the prior verses before I read the, your text. This is, what the, this is what Moses said. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The Jews call it the Shema. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. And with all thy soul, with all thy might, and these words, Moses said, which I command thee this day, shall be in your heart. You're going to teach them diligently unto your children. You're going to talk about them everywhere you go. When you're sitting down, when you're walking, when you're on a trail, when you're on a bike, when you're in a car, when you go to bed, when you rise up, you're going to say it over and over and over again. Don't forget the truth, ladies and gentlemen. Moses tells them, the reason why you're living in the land of promise is because the Lord brought you here. Moses said it. He infers that their past instability might lead them to a time when they would forget the meaning of the testimonies of the Lord. If they lose the meaning, they lose everything. We cannot move forward if we forget the past. You saw two of our esteemed elders on the screen. Their vision was to move forward. They didn't want to live in their past. They wanted to live in your future. All those victories and wonders and miracles, Moses pointed them out. He did not want them to forget or dismiss the reality of how life used to be. Beware, ladies and gentlemen, you are not better off in the world. So he says, when your sons and your daughters, they're going to ask, why are we here? What does this mean? All of these principles and songs and sermons and lessons and statutes and judgments of the Lord. And you're going to tell them the reason. You're going to say, this is what Moses said, you're going to tell them. You were slaves. But the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. You were bound. But the Lord gave you a land of promise because he loved you. Because he's good. Because he alone is worthy. You had nothing. But he lifted you up out of sin so he could put his word and his doctrine and his principles inside of you. When you leave this house, you ought to tell everybody you know and that you love what the meaning of this place is. You must not forget the purpose of the meaning. If you forget the meaning of your salvation and of this house of worship and of the blood, you will eventually embrace false philosophies and corrupt concepts and they'll lead you back into the very same place that you came from. Beware. So Moses will speak about the beauty of God's call. Moses will speak to them about what he called the privilege of holiness. Read it in your Bible. The next chapter, he talks about the privilege of holiness. And he tells them, God made a covenant with Abraham, and you are the descendants of the covenant, and it's a privilege to live a holy, separated life. It didn't begin with you, but it'll die with you if you don't know the meaning of it. It's a privilege, ladies and gentlemen, to be called a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. 
I'll move ahead in the scripture. But I'm not too far from that moment. It's Joshua's turn now. He's leading. He's the head of the elders. Outside of Caleb, Joshua is the eldest among them, leading the people into the land that flows with milk and honey. It's a place already set up for them. Wells they did not dig. Vineyards they did not plant. Gardens, olive trees. Cities with houses full of all the good things. All of it is waiting. Joshua leads them to the river Jordan and the waters roll up the stream. The Levites, the priests, stand in the middle of that mighty river. Now it's a dry bed like the Red Sea and the Ark of the Covenant is held in its place upon the shoulders of those priests until the whole nation passes over. And when they finally make it over, Joshua keeps the Ark in its place and he commands 12 men. We've got to have men in this church. We've got to have men in this church. I don't care what our society says. Our men are valuable. And our men are not our women. And they're not the same. And I thank God for all the ladies and we esteem you highly. I don't put down any of our mothers and our ladies. Thank God I got a powerful mother and I got a powerful wife. And I got an equally powerful daughter. But thank God for the men. Because we're going to have to have some men that are going to have broad shoulders. And going to stand up and say we're men of worship. And we're men of praise. And we're men of duty. And we're men of honor. And we're going to hold up the holy things of God until everybody passes over. Yes. they're not going to get over until you hold it up and when they finally made it over Joshua said hold on a second one man from each tribe go back into that dry riverbed now and dig out the largest stone you can find find it where the priests were standing and they pulled out 12 large stones massive rocks and built a monument according to the command of Joshua You can call it unnecessary if you will. Many people have called this campus unnecessary. But you're not stopping me. You're not stopping us. You're not the first person to have a... I don't know if you're watching or you're here. You're not the first person to have a negative word. Nehemiah was building... He was building a wall. He was rebuilding it. And the only fight he had was from his own brothers, two men who had a negative word. Your negative word is not going to stop the construction of the Lord's church or of revival or of the building. (laughs) That's okay. You got a right to be wrong. I give you the right to be wrong. I give you the right to be negative and hateful, but I'm going to hold on to the right to be holy and godly and marching ahead and with vision and hope. (laughs) And many decry the physical thing because they believe it's a showcase but not Joshua he employs the graphic design of 12 large stones heaped upon one another and then he turns to the people and he says in Joshua 4 6 that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come saying what mean ye by these stones you will tell them verse 22 you'll tell your children and let them know Israel came over the Jordan on dry ground for the Lord your God dried up the water of the 
Jordan before you until you all got over. And the Lord your God did the same to the Red Sea, which dried up before us until we all came over. That the Lord knows that, I'm sorry, that the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. There's a reason for these things. It was about what the Lord had done, about the authority and the power of the omnipotent one. And as I'm standing here, I felt the same feeling at least three times before. I felt it when Mark Quick introduced me to the church on October the 24th, 1999. I felt the same feeling the day that we drove over in a golf, a golf cart. I had my doctor, uh, Dr. Palapucci, I can never remember his name. Puchapali. I had Dr. Puchapali in the golf cart. I told him, you gotta come to church with me. He came. And, 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 and he came to church. I drove him from the, from the north campus over to the south side here and we put, we put shovels in the ground. There was a beautiful, beautiful bulldozer. I didn't even know how it got there. Just a couple weeks ago, someone told me how it got there, that they were fixing this, uh, heritage trail and one of the guys came and just brought the bulldozer and put it, it wasn't even our bulldozer. Thank God it was delivered and no one went to jail. I've had this feeling before. I've, I've had it. I had it. I had this feeling when we moved into this house, an overwhelming feeling. I'm, I'm standing at the same crossroads. I know what God's about to do. I feel it. There's going to be more than enough. If you open up your hand, God will do th- something through you. You won't be able to imagine what God's going to do. <clears throat> Joshua set up the monument in Gilgal and it became something far more significant than the materials of which it was made. It's more than a building. Don't dismiss the material though. They had a purpose. They served as a landmark that God had saved his people, that God had delivered them, brought them over and brought them through. They opened the door to the conversation with their children who had been born in freedom. Hear this today. We have a first generational problem in Pentecost. Because we do not tell of the nightmare or the bondage or the self-inflicted suffering we went through when we were lost. I'm going to go back to that. Because if we do not talk about sin with disgust, if we do not despise the chains that once bound us, the second and the third generation may very well go back to explore what we came out of. You got to tell the meaning of this. You got to say, I was lost. I was bound. I was empty. Tell them the meaning of the altar. Tell them what happened to you at the altar. And Joshua built something that served as a landmark. It was a pivot point in their search for freedom. And I know that not everyone's going to get it. They did not all embrace those riverbed stones. To the tourist, it meant a picture. To the wanderer, it might have meant shade. To the mocker, it meant delusion. To the unbeliever, it meant doubt. But to Israel, it meant deliverance. To those who were saved. To some. He's a stumbling block. But to us. <laughs> And that monument was a reminder of the mighty hand of God and an open door to retell the meaning of their children. And while we have 
certainly learn to make room for God in our homes. Did you not learn that last year? Invite the Lord into your home. He doesn't want to be trapped in this place, but he's also given us a place to come together in praise and worship and rejoicing. I'm not going to trap him here, but I also will not forsake my being here. I will not leave him in this room, but I also want to come together more and more as we see the last day approaching. There is a meaning in all of this, and it's not to make a name for ourselves. It is to shine the light of the gospel until the rapture. Can everybody hear me? We do not have a great church. We don't have a great church. We have a great God. And we're preparing for the rapture. We're not good. We're not better. But we have a great God. We're not superior. We just have a great God and a burden. I'm, I got so much. Uh, Kirk Baird, where are you at today? Uh, stand up. Kirk, would you stand up? Just stand up. I, um, we have a little group. You're supposed to be in our group at the church. Did you know that? Okay. I, I, yeah, you're supposed to be at, Tame and I have the group at the church. So we're doing the gatherings at the church and you're in my group. We, are you coming to my group at the church? Okay, thank you. And you may be seated. I, I, I have your number on the, on, on, on the church app, Brother Kirk, but it's not the right number. What number have you given them? I can't get a hold of you, man, if you don't put the right number in. I called you. I, I called you, left a message on the answering service. Of course, because it's the wrong number. You got to put the right number in. How do you even know what's going on unless you put the right number in? I called you and left a message, just what I said to you, Brother Kurt. I didn't say pastor, I said Brother Kurt. I'm so excited about what's going to happen. I need to call you to make sure you came to our group gathering on Wednesday nights. The next three Wednesday nights, 6.30, we're going to talk about what we're doing at the church. And I'm trying to get all the group together because, and I said this because Tammy gave me a couple names I have to call. She didn't want to call you, so I'm calling you. Leaving this message. Call me back. You never called me. But somebody called me. And said, yes, uh, got this message on my voicemail. I think you have the wrong number. I said, ah. You know, I'm trying to call this guy in our church. He don't give the right number. I said, we're, we're trying to get people back in the church and having gatherings at our church because we want to know, we want them to know what we're doing. So the next three weeks we have gatherings and my wife gave me this man's number and I thought I was calling him. And the man on the other line said, well, what kind of gatherings? And I said, well, we're, we're you know, this corona's kind of messed people up and, and, and we're trying to get them back into the house and we want to be careful, but we also want to have church and we got to have community. He said, I know. He said, 
my kids are homeschooled. This man tells me, my kids are homeschooled, and, and this is really, they, they have not been out. And I said, that's funny, because my kids have been homeschooled too, but the difference, I think, is that we've got this youth group at our church, and our youth pastor, he's got, I think, maybe 80, 100 teenagers, and they're having great, he said, man, my kids need something like that. <laughs> And I said to him, well, where are you from? He said, well, we were from uh, another city close by. Then we moved to Alaska. Then we came back. And now I, I, I work, sometimes I work on Sundays. He said, uh, I said, well, man, would you come? Would you like to come and, and check us out? And I told him where we were. And he said, I think I've been by there. I said, well, well, if you come, I'll tell you what I'll do. He told me his name, Gene and Brandy and his three kids and I shared my kids names and then we shared all the trouble with our youngest child's children <laughs> and, 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 and then we talked about we talked about people coming and, and I said if you tell me that you're coming text me I'll save you five seats so you got a good seat and, and he said okay I'll do that I got he, he didn't come today because he's working but this morning from Gene I got a text this morning he didn't even know I was the pastor I didn't even tell him at the end at the end of the conversation I said well by the way Gene I'm the pastor you would make me look real good if I brought my own people to the house of God He said, well, I want to come. I said, if you'll just text me, I got a text this morning. And he said, I can't come, but I'm looking forward to getting there. I've already talked to my kids. Let me tell you the meaning of all this. It's because there's lost people and they're hungry or the people just don't know where to go. (laughs) Woo! I just got a declaration, Brother Kurt. We're going to get the right number. I got the wrong number this week, but I got the right person. (laughs) Yay! Okay, I'm almost done. I'm, I'm I'm just skipping ahead. It's time. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time. I'll tell you what we really need around here. We need altar space. Because there are going to be people praying at the altar. And they're going to be receiving the Holy Ghost at the altar. we got to have altar space. I'm so glad about all that. Thank God for all the people that did that. That's beautiful. We're going to have to have some altar space. It's time to tear some things up. I don't want to be stuffy. I want to tear some stuff up. And this week, we're going to have to have some people with some more vacuum cleaners cleaning up the dust because we're going to tear up some more stuff. Are you ready to tear up some stuff? There's a meaning behind this. If someone asks you the meaning, you tell them we did it because we're hungry to see a revival in our city. And people have got to have, they've got to be saved before the rapture. I'll tell you how we're going to get them. We're going to love people. We're just going to love them. It don't matter where people come from. We're just going to love them. It it doesn't matter what they look like. We're going to love them. 
Whatever their stories are, we got similar stories that will help them. We're going to love them. It doesn't matter what job they have. It doesn't matter if they have a job or not. It doesn't matter their status high or low. We're going to love them. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to love them. We're going to help them. We're going to care for them. We're going to do our very best. And we're going to fail from time to time. But we're going to do our very best. We're going to make room for them. Because the church is the only entity built for the benefit of its non-members. It's time to tear some stuff up. I got to have altar space. I saw some of the ladies of the church walking back and forth and they could barely get through. We got to have altar space. I'm ready to tear something up. We got to have, I know the singers need room, but we might have just to suspend them or put them right there. They might even have to have the microphones just walk around the aisleways and sing and lead us in worship, but we're going to have to have some altar space. Are you ready to tear some stuff up? I'm ready. I'm ready to go forward. I'm ready to make room. We got to make room. Mason, where are you at, Mason? Are you ready? Rachel, where, where's Rachel at? Rachel, are you ready to tear some stuff up? Rebecca, are you ready? You've never torn anything up, Rebecca. Come up here with Pastor right now, Rebecca. We, we're we're going to tear something up. Come up here. Oh, God love her. Prim and proper. You can do this here at the church, but you can't do it at home. Are you ready? Come on, let's go. Come, come on, let's go. Let's tear something up. Come, come on, we got to make altar room. You get over there. Mason, you going on that side? Rachel, you get on that side. We're going to make some more altar room. We're going to tear something up because we got to have people in this altar. We got to have people in this altar. Come on. Okay, baby. Psalm 1, Zach and Lacey Fisher. James Robinson. James chapter 3, verse 14. I got all kinds of scriptures we wrote on this. That was 10 years ago. That's good. Tear that right up. Tear that one up. Get down and get that one right there. Look at these scriptures. Look at these words here. Favorite. We got to tear this thing off. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to make our, our, our giving baskets out of some of these boards that are here. And help me. Is it? And in the atrium, there's the, after church, you can go in the atrium, you write your scripture and your name, and you put it on the board that's set up in the atrium. We're going to build our, our giving baskets out of that wood and out of this wood. And each week of the 12 weeks, we're going to come and, 
as Amanda told us what she's going to do, we're all going to do it. We're going to give, and God's going to supply the need. And we're going to cut this off, and we're going to make more altar space. And your friends and your family and the people that are prodigals in your family, they're going to come, and they're going to stand on the floor right here because we're ready to go. We've got things we've got to do, and all the people ought to be shouting yes, and you ought to be clapping your hands unto the Lord. 